Heavenly Father, your word is a precious thing, more precious than food, more precious than water, more precious than our lives, for in it we find eternal life. We have searched them out and found our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask now that he be lifted up, that the knowledge of the gospel be made clear. May Christ be embraced by your people once again. May our hearts rest in him completely. May those who have still in their sin be quickened this morning. May they see the Savior, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, sitting on the throne, exalted above all, ruling and reigning in the hearts of your people, ruling and reigning over providentially all things in this world. Though blind to the wicked, your works are open to our eyes through the recorded actions that we find in your word. Father, be with us this morning. Give us grace. We pray in our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the doctrine I want you to take home today is this. The Christian is going to be greatly encouraged while he endures tribulation if they would have an anticipation and a genuine yearning for his second coming. His second coming includes him coming in the sky, appearing, saving his people, coming, taking us up, coming back and then judging the world. It is that great day of judgment. If we would learn to appreciate this, to anticipate this, if we have this hope within us, I guarantee that you will not be disappointed. There's not going to be a disappointment. Oh, I expected more. It's not going to be underwhelming. It's going to be something that's far beyond what we are capable of imagining. Because I, I've seen pictures of, of places, but if you've seen a picture of the Grand Canyon, you know it's not the same as being there. And we can read and understand what's going to come. We know the facts. But I'm telling you, there's a time coming that's going to be a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And if you can learn to anticipate that, then the trials that you're enduring, the tribulations that you're undergoing, and there are many that are undergoing. It doesn't just have to be persecution. It can be the normal every day, pressures, death, sickness, temptations of sin. In a brief review of where we're at, I'm finishing up chapter 11 in the Apocalypse. This is the seventh trumpet out of seven, the last trump. And I'll try not to mention him, okay? Uh, you know, Donald Trump, just because it's the last Trump, we don't have to say these little things like that. So I'm not going to go political on this at all. But the last Trump, that's when the Lord comes back. That will finish the third of seven visions in the apocalypse. And so with that, let's get on with it. In this verse section of chapter 11, verses 14 through 19, we're going to see two things. We're going to be able to, you know, we read and we understand that John has 
a vision where he's able to see two things. Number one, he sees the saints, that is, the elders on the 24 thrones. And that represents all of God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel, the followers of the 12 apostles, all those who have lived to learn of Christ, to worship Christ, all those who are worshiping heaven. They're going to see them worshiping and praising God in heaven. And then the second thing that John sees is the opening of the temple of God for all to see. And that's a big thing. It simply says it. But you see, the opening of the temple has never been done. It is the nature of the temple of God to have it all covered. The holy place is covered. Only the priest goes into the holy place. And then only the high priest goes into the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. And we'll read in verse number 19 that when the temple is opened, the centerpiece is the Ark itself. And we get to see that. So those are the two things. We see God being praised and offered up. He's being offered gratitude. And then we see the opening of the temple. Now there's going to be two specific things that we hear. Remember, we paid attention to what we see and what we hear. And the great example that we've given is that when the, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ makes his appearance, he says, Behold, there is the line of the tribe of Judah. That's what's heard. But when they turn to see, they see the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So what they see and what they hear, it may be different, but they are the same, are they not? The line of the tribe of Judah is the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Amen. And so what we have here is something that we see, but also something that we hear. We hear two things. First, there's going to be a loud, huge, a very great noise come out of heaven. But this noise is going to be voices of the inhabitants of heaven. And they're going to be saying that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you have not heard that before, then you haven't heard the hallelujah chorus, have you? That this is where it comes from, this particular phrase. The other thing that we hear is the praise and the worship of the 24 elders that fall down before the throne of God, worshiping. And they both say certain things. And so what we have is two phrases of worship and declarations, a declaration of Christ being the victor and a declaration of we are so thankful to God because... And then we have reasons such as you have used your great power to reign and now your wrath has come to judge. So you see, you see and then you hear. So let's go to the observations. We'll go verse by verse. <clears throat> and before I have another introduction, just before I start talking about this, I want to say this. It is important for us to strive to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. But I'm going to say this. It's more important for us to value relationships over these accomplishments. Now, I'm going to give you some reasons about that. You will, you will remember this scripture if I read this to you. Well, so listen. Many will say to me in that day, what do you think that day is? In that day? The day of judgment, of course. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done great wonderful things? Have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name have done wonderful works. However, then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So you see, the Lord could have said it this way. I never had a relationship with you. 
So what is more important? The things that we do or our relationship with Christ? Because if your relationship with Christ is that he is your savior and he changes your heart, you will accomplish things. You will accomplish things that will never go away. They will withstand the judgment. They will be made of gold and silver and not hay, wood, and stubble. And so worry not about the kingdom that you're going to build here, but worry about the relationships that the gospel makes in your own heart. And God will build his kingdom. God will build his kingdom. You know how he does it? You are the stones. And don't confuse what the world thinks is the kingdom with what God knows is his kingdom. And what the temple of God is, and how the temple of God is his dwelling place. And so, relationship is more important than accomplishment. Because our relationship to God will make the accomplishments that God will be pleased with. And so let's go to verse number 14. <clears throat> the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe is soon to come. I don't have much to say about this other than, other than this. There are some that believe that the, the uh, seventh trumpet is the third woe, and I'm one of them. You see, the last, it says that there are three woes, woes left, and it happens to be trumpets five, six, and seven, and now the third woe is about to happen, and then the seventh trumpet is blown. Now, there are those that say, well, it could be a lot of other things. Interesting to read, but it is really a distinction that makes no difference. It all basically says the same thing. But first of all, what shall we say about verse number 15? And the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So let me just say clearly what this is. This is the second coming of Christ. It is the day of judgment. And you say, well, this is like chapter 11. It's not even toward the end of the book yet. How can this happen right now? It's because it's the end of this vision. We have seven visions in the book of the Apocalypse, and each vision tells you from the time he ascended to the time that he comes back, and we are at the end of the third vision. And here we have the coming of Christ, and he comes for his people, but he also comes in judgment. It can come at any time. The Lord is ready to come back. I am one of those people that believe the return of Christ is imminent, or shall we say, can come at any time. Now, there may be things that have to be accomplished, and the Lord knows them. I am not an expert in the timeline. I do not look at timelines. I look at what the Lord teaches, that we should be ready. And so that's what I tell you. Be ready. And how, do you, how are you ready? By having a relationship with God, that your heart is right. Your readiness is in the form of a morality it's in the form of how you are relating to the Holy Spirit within us. And so it's not as though you have learned the facts and now you're looking out the window to see if the clouds are going to clear or the clouds are going to come. No, you are ready with a heart that loves Christ and you anticipate the goodness and the beauty of his return. We know that he's going to come like a thief. And I've heard this preached. You mean he's come and steal away his people? No, he's not a thief. He comes like a thief. He comes at a time that's unexpected. That's what thieves do. They come in an unexpected time. And so this is what he's saying. You will come at a time when we do not expect or suspect. The world will not suspect it. The world will be taken completely by surprise. But will we be surprised? 
I'll put it this way, I think we'll be pleasantly surprised. Pleasantly, because we knew he was coming and we were ready. But I know this, when he returns, that's the end. The end has come. And what do we say? Well, it's all over. No, 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 no. It is the great coming of Christ. It is the consummation of all things. We are called to be authentic Christians right now, prepared in our hearts, ready for him to come back. And so what happens when he comes back? What's it going to look like? We have a good description in 1 Thessalonians. Let me read it to you. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those that are dead, that you not, may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. He's going to return with our loved ones who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, which means, this is not my guess, the Lord has revealed this to the Apostle Paul, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed to those who have fallen asleep. Now that's proceeding in resurrection. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of the command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Sounds a little bit like Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, doesn't it? And the dead in Christ will rise first. <coughs> then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. That's because that's the end. Now we have the judgment. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now the Lord is coming back. This is going to be, as introduced to this passage, a woe. The third woe. Well, who is it for who is it a woe for? It is for those who dwell in the earth, not those who have dwelled in heaven. It is for the unbeliever, for those who are rebelling against God, the world, the citizens of the kingdom of darkness. It is a woe. But it is going to be well for the saints. It's going to be a woe, and it's going to be a well. It will be well for those who anticipate him coming back. So let me read this one more time. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, and of course the voices are all those who inhabit heaven. It could be angels, archangels. It could be the 24 on the elders. All we know is that all these voices are very loud and are very clear. The kingdom, notice in the King James it says kingdoms. But people have made, the people I've read have made a big, big point about this. It just means one kingdom. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. We read these same words in Daniel. I want you to take note that this particular passage is spoken of in the past tense. Now, don't get too excited about that, because sometimes people will read that and say, does that mean it's already happened? No. I was reading uh, and listening to some sermons, and one, one message I was reading by Dr. Joel Beakey. I like what he says a lot of times. But he gave an explanation about this. And he said that this particular phrase 
is um, something that he would call, he gave a special name for it. It's a literary term that actually means it's so sure that you can say it in the past tense. And we can give you an example of that. In Romans chapter 8.30, we read this. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. In the past tense. But we all know that we are waiting to be glorified, do we not? But we know that this is a package deal. If God begins his salvation, he ends his salvation. And therefore, it is spoken as being glorified as though it's already done. And so when it comes to the victory of our Christ, and at that day when it's all clearly seen and witnessed by all the, all the universe that the kingdoms have become the kingdom of our Christ, we can see that it can be seen by John in the Apocalypse as being spoken in the past tense. Now, I was also suggested by Dr. Beakey, because when he went through this in his, in his uh, in commentary, and in his messages that, he, that I'm looking at, he, he went to verse number 19, and I, I'm going to follow that same example that he led me in. We're going to go to verse number 19 and take a look at what is seen. Remember, I said at the beginning that we see several things. One of them is that the temple of God is open. So let's go there and notice this. Verse number 11, verse 19, And God's temple in heaven was opened. We're going to stop right there. This is an amazing thing, that the temple of God should be opened. Now, you've heard of an open house, have you not? Sometimes a realtor will have a, a place for sale, and they'll say, I have an open house. And what that means is that it's all done. If it's new construction, there's not going to be any blueprints lying around. There's not going to be any scaffoldings up against the walls. There's not going to be anything that's there. All the workers are gone. Everything about it is complete. It's ready for someone to come and look at it, to walk in it, to look around. And what we have here is an opening of the temple. Now, is it a house? Is it not the dwelling place of God? Is this a home? It is the home of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that this is an open house that has not been opened before. In the types and shadows of the Old Testament, it was a mystery. Now, a mystery is kind of an open secret where God tells you the truth. It's right there in front of us, but it's still, some of it is hidden. We have to see the types and the shadows. And so we look at this temple, and what do we notice? That God has been building his dwelling place. He's building it one stone at a time. And what are the stones? Are they not his people? His people are built together in a place for him to dwell. And now the temple is done and we have an open house. An open house for the new owner to come and dwell in this new house. He's finished his dwelling place. And when you have this house opened, there is one thing that's obvious, that's in the center, that's right there among all the other things, it's the ark. The scripture says, And the temple was opened, and there was the ark of the covenant. It is the, the centerpiece of this dwelling place. Within the ark, you have the law of God. Above the ark, you have the mercy seat. Residing in 
the Holy of Holies. And if you can envision this in your mind, you have a, a box. Within it is the law. And above it you have the mercy seat. And above that you have the presence of God. Now of Christ, if you recall, do you remember what the ark was made of? Gold and wood. Two different things, very different. Our Christ is God and man. And he has within him the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God. The law is his very nature. And between him, our mediator, our own flesh and blood, who he, we are in Christ. Christ is at the right hand of God, but we are in Christ, seated in heavenly places. And now between us and the presence of God is mercy, the mercy seat, where Christ came and sprinkled his own blood, his own blood. And it's true that the righteousness of God's holiness is there, and it is the blood that makes the mercy between us in Christ and God's holy presence. And it's where justice and mercy meet together. The temple of God residing. We get to live in God and God in us. And yet even today we celebrate the fact of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Are you not the temple of God? And we are now reigning in Christ. Amen. And what do we reign? We reign over what? The, the, the Proverbs tell us very easily. He who rules over his own heart is mightier than one who rules over his city. And what are the ruling? What are the reigning? What is the real temple and city and, and, and kingdom of God? He told Pilate, is not this around you? This temple of God or the, the city or the kingdom of God is within us. It is the power of God reigning within us. Now with all of this, in verse number 19, we also read, besides the opening of the temple and the revealing of the Ark of the Covenant for all to see that there are flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. Well, does that ring a bell? When was the last time you read the scriptures and you saw these things happen? Was it not when God came down and touched the earth on Mount Sinai? And a warning was given. Any beast that should approach this shall be killed, thrust through with a spear. And now we have, on the last day, we have the witnesses of, of the saints of God falling down before their faces, and, and they're proclaiming, oh, this is our God. We approach him. He has come, but he has come in his wrath also. It is well for the saint and his woe to the sinner. These are the woes to the sinner. Now, let's go back to verse number 15. Verse number 15. What do we hear? Voices of heaven. Have you ever noticed that most of the sounds that are heard in these visions, great thunderings, great sounds, they end up communicating something to either the peoples of earth or the peoples in heaven. Voices. Even the voices are getting louder and louder as we go on and make our progression to the end of each vision. 
The visions begin with voices, but they end in shouts and proclaims and acclamations and declarations and praises of gratitude. Voices. Every time I consider a great noise and a voice coming in one of these apocalyptic visions, I think about the gospel being preached. I think about the hearts of God's people proclaiming the greatness of God. <clears throat> I don't quote John Calvin very much, but I heard of this quote. And Calvin said this concerning our attitudes toward the great judgment that we're about to see and the great reward that the saints will receive, both of these things put together. And Calvin said this, those who do not hanker for the second coming of Christ has not made very much progress in their Christianity. Now, I don't know if John Calvin actually used the word hanker. I think that's more upon the translator because he, he spoke in French. Somewhere, probably something from West Virginia translated that. But it says, he who do, those who do not hanker for the second coming of Christ has not made very much progress in their Christianity. And so we can see that this vision that we're seeing, what we can see and what we can hear, that there is a great judgment day coming. And that day, many people kind of would say, oh, that judgment, oh, I'm so, you know, no, no, no. That day is a day of great encouragement for us. It is a day of great encouragement for us. But we also must remind the people around us, this is a day that is not going to be a good day for you. It's an awful, it is beyond your imagination of how bad it is. Oh, you need to dig up that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You need to dig it up and read it. Just Google it. You'll find it. Read it. Their foot shall slide in due time. It will happen. It's coming. The day is coming. Verse number 15. The kingdom, not just kingdoms, but everything that is dark in this world is really on one kingdom. Satan has blinded all the people of this world and all the kingdoms are under his reign and control. But God has given us an unshakable promise that that kingdom will become the kingdom of our Christ. He's become the kingdom of our Christ. Now, Satan, at the very beginning, made a bid for this world. He wanted to be the one who is in control. He wanted to have the sovereign power over this creation. And that is why the world is in the mess it's in today. And it's not just all his fault. When he said to Adam or to Eve, did God surely say this? And then doubt was there. Doubt and mistrust of a holy God. That is the center of rebellion. If you look at real sin and how pride leads us down the path of doubting God, doubting his veracity, doubting his goodness, doubting his holiness, all these things lead to a deep, desperate rebellion against God. And we are complicit with Satan in that rebellion. And all those who are complicit in that rebellion are citizens of the kingdom of darkness. There's going to be Babylon. There's going to be New Jerusalem in these images. There's going to be this kingdom and that kingdom. Now, to prove to you that there is a kingdom of darkness, that kingdom of darkness will include a religious flavor to it. I want to read to you something. It's a quote from the CBS News from 2013. Now, I didn't write this. This is just a quote from a news article. It was written by a person by the name of Jessica Hartogs. I think I pronounced her name right. But she wrote this as a member of the CBS News team. 
The title of it is this. Vatican. Get time off in purgatory by following the Pope on Twitter. Now, I'm not here to bash Catholics today, okay? I don't think it's a good idea to bash one group because I feel that the truth is better understood when you know what the truth is, then you get to recognize all that is false. But sometimes a heresy is so blatant, it must be called out by name. Sometimes heresies need to be said, that is wrong. That is actually antichrist. And don't, don't get me wrong. There are many antichrists in this world because there are many people that have not taken the scriptures as their standard of truth. Sola Scriptura. That is what we know. It is by the scriptures alone. So let me read this to you. <clears throat> I quote, The Vatican is taking a modern approach to one of its oldest traditions by offering indulgences to Twitter followers of the pontif pontifex's social media account. I continue, Aware that some Catholics may not be able to afford to travel to Brazil. Now, this is referring to a youth camp to be held in Brazil for a, for a week where the youth World Youth Day is being held from July 23rd to the 28th in 2013, and perhaps also in an effort to modernize himself, Pope Francis is making this first-time offer to the faithful who follow the events in Rio de Janeiro online. One more paragraph. Under Catholic belief, and I'm quoting, I'm not making this up, after confessing and being absolved of sin, the indulgences granted reduce the amount of time one spends in purgatory, where one's sins are weighed after death. Under the Pope's new offer, those who follow the week's events on Twitter feed can get a speedier transit through purgatory, hopefully on their way to heaven. Okay. Now, I'm not trying to attack people. I'm trying to point out to you that there is a kingdom of darkness and this particular type of thought among God's people is the denial of the essence of the atonement of Jesus Christ. It takes that truth and diverts it into a completely off direction. It's an anti-Christ idea and concept. If you are not in the kingdom of Christ, you're in the kingdom of darkness. So, now is the time to engage in the battle. It's not too late. It is not too late to become a citizen of the kingdom of light. Now, I'm going a little bit slow, and I apologize, but I'm going to continue, if you don't mind. Verses 16 through 18, let me read them to you. But before I read them, I want you to look for something. I want you to look for something. There is a reason why the loud voices of the, uh, of the elders are saying, we are grateful, we are thankful, and we praise your name. And I want you to listen for a reason why they're grateful. So listen. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for, or it's the King James actually says, because, that kind of gives away, doesn't it? You have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time of the dead to be judged, and the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And so I think you got that. I think you understood that the reason that they have 
is that there are two things, two things that are pointed out. You began your reign and your wrath has come. Now, if you didn't recognize those two events, one is after the atonement of Christ, he was exalted and rose up to heaven to be seated on the right hand of God. And he began that with saying, all power and authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go ye into all nations. He began to reign. And so, because you have begun to reign, and your wrath has come, those two different events, the first coming and the second coming, those are reasons why the elders love God, praise God, and offer their thanksgiving. Now, I want to stress this fact, that people's, the people of God need to be worshiping, need to be praising but they need to know the reasons why. Don't, don't be caught up with the idea that you can say, I love going to this place because it's, I, my, my emotions are just way up and I get to sing this same verse over and over again and this and that. And so we are really, we feel grateful. Do you know how you feel grateful? When you know what you're grateful for. That's right. It's when you get to look into the book and it tells you, I have come and paid for your sins, and I'm coming back to read my, and my reward is with me, and I will judge the wicked. Oh, we are grateful for that, and it can make your heart sing, and make you feel bubbly, and make you feel warm, and it should. But don't let the music do it to you. But if the music is like the hallelujah chorus, jump on it. That's what I say. Because the fact that Christ has taken the kingdom of this world and has made it his own kingdom. And we can say, now and forever, the Lord will reign forever and forever. And his judgment is coming. Now, I want you to see, I've, I, I could preach another hour. I got too many notes. I'll just continue this another time, but I, will, I, do, want to, I do want to bring this to a close to where it, you know, it does something for you. Proverbs teach us many things about justice and about how the wicked has actually judged themselves. And we learn this in the scriptures. It says, by their own words, they shall be justified or condemned by their own actions. And when a man is seen to dig a pit for his neighbor, that his neighbor would fall into that pit, he falls into it himself. And so what does the words here say? He says that we have seen that your, um, uh, your, you began to reign and that your wrath has come. And what's that going to do? To destroy who? The destroyers. Do you see? The wicked have made their own destiny. Do not blame God for the suffering of the wicked. The wicked is of themselves, bringing it upon themselves. They take with them a hatred of God that will never be diluted or stopped. As the holiness of God is there and the temple is opened and the ark is seen, those who love Christ are blessed and those who have rebelled and hate God have thunderings and lightnings. And why? Because they continuously, from a heart that rebel against God, is now in the pure light of holiness. And it torments them. It torments them. They torment them because of their hatred of God. 
and it continues out of their heart. When and how long? Forever and forever. If they would stop sinning, Christ would become precious. If they stopped hating and rebelling, Christ would be beautiful. And lastly, I'll just say this. In the open house on that great last day, the temple will be complete. Have you not heard and remembered? Well, our brother preached on it just a few weeks ago. How the, 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 the disciples of Christ said to, said to our Lord, Look at the great buildings around here. Look at this great big temple. It is beautiful, is it not? And what did the Lord say? I'm telling you right now, this generation will not pass until there is not one stone laid upon another stone here. When it comes to the true temple of God, we are the stones. And what are we laid upon? That great foundation of Christ. Mm -hmm. There will never come a time when we were not on Christ mm -hmm. in the new heaven and in the new earth. Mm -hmm. There may come a time in this world where the world will take the visible church and not have one stone upon another. It'll take the church and they will just trample us to the ground. And it says they will kill us. Mm -hmm. But not in the temple in heaven. Not there. The stone will be remain right on Christ. Mm -hmm. The temple will never be torn down. Mm -hmm. In Christ, we will be the dwelling place of God forever. Amen. And those in hell will continue. And so preach to your brothers. Preach to your family. Mm -hmm. Let them know about the beauty of God, who is a holy God. Mm -hmm. The mercy of God, who is the ark in this open temple where mercy and justice meet to please God that will dwell with sanctified, saved sinners mm -hmm. by the grace of God. Let's now go to the Lord in our prayer. Amen. Our Holy Father, we now praise your name for you have done a great work. You have saved us from our sin and you have reigned in heaven and on earth. And now, Father, we pray for this next great work the work of your coming again, the work of your coming, that you might judge the world, that justice might reign throughout the world, that every right might be, every wrong might be righted, every injustice corrected, all the sins might be judged accordingly. Oh, Father, we pray that you come quickly. Come now. Come and exonerate the Lord. Come and vindicate your actions. Come and may all these things Produce genuine praise, and may we anticipate you every day. Please, Father, enable us to be prepared for your coming. Allow us to enjoy your presence now in our hearts. We pray this in our Lord's name.